0: Thanks, David good morning Arcadia good morning. how you doing today great to see you um, my name is Frank if you're new here today and I anticipate we have more new people today than normal to uh, because we have five people getting baptized later on in this service and so we have a lot of family and, and stuff here and we're excited about that um, we'll get to that later uh, I am Frank and I'm the lead pastor here the primary communicator here on Sunday morning Uh, We are Redemption Church. We are one church with seven congregations, uh, soon to be eight. Tucson is going live on September 7th. They are starting regular Sunday services on September 7th, so that's really exciting. Um, And so uh, we just believe that we're better together. That's why we have all these congregations, but we also believe in uh, local eldership and local uh, uh, live preaching. And so that's why we kind of do it the way we do it. Every congregation has their own lead pastor. Uh, Also, this time of year is just one of those interesting times when a lot of new ministries are starting a lot of people are back in town you know getting kids into school and doing all that stuff and so there are a lot of announcements this time of year and so we broke them up a little bit this morning you've already heard Josh do some so now I'm gonna I'm gonna thrill you with a few more announcements uh, if that's okay uh, I, I'm gonna have we're gonna have an insert in the bulletin next week for the next couple of weeks on uh, the following information but I just want to get this out there for you to start saving the dates if you'll recall uh, a while ago, we started a class, a Wednesday night class, a six-week Wednesday night class called Restless Pilgrims that Chad D. Miguel uh, was teaching. And he taught um, one uh, of the six sessions, and, and then um, he, he was working out and, and he likes to box and he likes to spar and uh, somebody got through his defenses and, and hit him kind of hard and he ended up with a concussion and it turned out to be uh, fairly serious and, and so he didn't even go to work for several weeks but he wasn't able to finish teaching the class. So he is gonna come back now and starting September 17th, Wednesday night, for six straight weeks, he's gonna teach that class, Restless Pilgrims. We had about uh, 60 people the first night of his first class and they were really excited about it. It's really good material. I would highly recommend that if you can get here any of those Wednesday nights that you should come and, and uh, hear what Chad is presenting. Uh, it'll be Wednesday nights starting September 17th from six till eight o'clock at night. We will feed you and so it would be helpful if we knew if you were coming, we will feed you then he'll get into the study it is the only Wednesday night class we're going to offer this go around because we think it's that important that you get to that particular class so um, we'll tell you more about that uh, going forward but that's uh, something that you should be putting on your calendar saving the date also if you are a Redemption woman the Redemption women classes are going to start again uh, Thursday morning September 11th for seven weeks through October 23rd from 10 o'clock in the morning until noon right here in this building. Caroline Van Slyke and her team are going to be leading uh, the Redemption Women in a uh, study of longing, ambition, and the life of faith. And the idea behind this is that God does create us with with desires and ambitions. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Sometimes you think once you become a Christian, you're not supposed to have any desires or ambitions, and that's just not true. Rather, we need to understand uh, through uh, a gospel-centered lens how to to work those ambitions and desires. And so uh, she He's going to lead a, a seven week study on that there will be child care for that as well so again we need to hear from you if you're going to be coming to that and then uh, the men's morning Bible study is going to get started up again on September 18th they meet Thursdays every week on Thursday they're starting a new study on September 18th uh, they're going to be going through CS Lewis's book The Great Divorce I would say that it's his classic book The Great Divorce but every one of CS Lewis's book would be considered a classic so that would be redundant, and I didn't even know why I just said all of that. So anyway, um, uh, Phil Thomas will be leading that. Uh, Phil, are you around? Yeah, there's Phil. Caroline, where are you? I, I saw you earlier. There, there's Caroline. So you can contact them. Um, Phil will be, be uh, providing breakfast for that class Uh, as well Uh, here's the challenge though Uh, but you guys I know you can suck it up and you can do this the class starts at 6 30 but the good news is it's over by 7 30 so you have the whole rest of the day okay so uh, if you want more information on that be sure to talk to him one last thing I want to talk to you about uh, more as uh, not necessarily as information although there is information but more as your pastor Uh, some interesting dynamics going on at Redemption Arcadia I've mentioned this before I'm gonna press into it again Uh, Our attendance so far in 2014, upstairs, in other words, in the services, we are ahead of last year by uh, anywhere from five to seven percent. So we're progressing, we're moving ahead upstairs uh, in attendance. Uh, It's a whole different story downstairs in the children's ministry. We are ahead of last year's figures by 40% downstairs. That's an indication of maybe some changing demographics and also the fact that we have had a ton of babies born uh, at Redemption, so good job, Redemption Arcadians, that's good. Um, But uh, we are growing like mad downstairs, and and we're kind of limited in space downstairs. We had one room yet that we weren't using downstairs that was actually being used by the musicians as a recording studio. They have graciously given up that room, so we are now moving children's ministry into the last room that we have down there. Uh, Linda is just about done painting the room, and she's going to go live with that room, uh, I believe, next Sunday. Uh, she is taking the class that has been most problematic at 9 o'clock, the one that has been closed most often at, at a certain point because it, there's just too many kids going into it and she's splitting that class. Uh, what that means though is that we need more children's workers, at, at uh, volunteers at 9 o'clock. And so I'm coming to you and appealing to you to help us out uh, uh, Sunday mornings at the 9 o'clock service. Uh, uh and and just if 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 this is finally the time that god is calling you into children's ministry and into volunteering i would i would just please suggest that you go down and talk to linda she can get you through the application the background check and all that stuff and and uh, you could help us out with that really very large and growing ministry we essentially have a church downstairs is what's going on so we really need your help i would really appreciate it if uh, if you could do that um, the workers down there work really hard. No, 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 uh, uh, no getting around that. Uh, it's a challenging ministry, but it's also one of the most rewarding ministries. So I would appreciate it if, if uh, this is the time now that you're going to be called into that. Go down and talk to Linda after the service, and uh, and she'll get you hooked up, okay? We good? Can I get started on the sermon now? Is that all right? Word. All right, word. Yeah, maybe we should pray first, all right? Let's, let's pray. Uh, God, we do thank you for your grace and your mercy, and we thank you for how good you are to us and we thank you that um, that you call us because of your mercy uh, to, a, to a high level you call us to live sacrificial lives and for our thinking our minds to be renewed a- and to allow that to express itself in in genuine christian love and so god as we look at romans chapter 12 again today and, and we expound on those principles, God, we just pray that you would be in the midst of this. Your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us and open our hearts and open our minds uh, to your word. God, as always, I just pray that you'd get me out of the way so that your spirit would speak to us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in Romans chapter 12 again. Uh, we're going to be there for a little while longer, probably another five or six weeks. Uh, today we're going to look again at one verse, it's Romans 12, 11, but I want to remind you that all of Romans 12, 13, and the rest of Romans uh, flow from those first two verses in Romans chapter 12, where Paul writes, therefore, uh, my brothers, on account of God's mercies, because of what God has done for you, you are to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing Uh, to the lord this is this is your this is your spiritual act of worship and i want you to understand very clearly and i hit this every week but it's something we need to be reminded of every week and i would even say daily uh, is is that our entire lives are to be lived as worship to god everything that we do is lived as worship to god And, and if we have that perspective that changes how we look at all of life And as a church, we say all of life is all for Jesus. And a lot of that theology flows from right here, Romans chapter 12. And then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind so that by testing, you might discern what God's will is and you might understand how to live this life by the power of the spirit that is good and perfect and acceptable to God. That is our goal. That is our goal. By grace, we have been saved. And by that same grace, we are now going to be sanctified and live this life in Christ. And and all of that translates into the expression of our spiritual gifts, which we looked at in verses 3 through 8. And and then this ethic of living by Christian love, which we're looking at in verses 9 through 21 in chapter 12. And so today, we look at verse 11. Where Paul writes, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now, I would just suggest to you, from my perspective, that has to be the most interesting sentence in all of chapter 12. It may not be the most exciting sentence, We may not get that riled up about this sentence, but it's just an interesting sentence that he brings, especially when we dig into exactly what it is that Paul is saying here, that he brings in the midst of this idea of living a, a, a sacrificial life with a renewed mind and that expressing itself in the Christian ethic of love. We are not to be slothful in zeal, but we are to be fervent in spirit as we are serving the Lord. Literally, the way this verse uh, is written in the Greek, it, 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 could, it could be said this way, I think better. As you are serving the Lord because you love, as you are serving the Lord, do not lag in zeal, do not flag in zeal, do not, do not rest in zeal in your zeal but rather be fervent in your spirit so when it comes to be to diligence for the lord don't get bogged down you got to battle lethargy you got to do what you're called to but also in the midst of that you need to allow the holy spirit to stoke your spirit that's essentially what he's saying here and we're gonna we're gonna unpack that here's the big idea this is essentially what paul is saying get to work serving the lord and do the work of the lord with love and enthusiasm Get to work serving the Lord and do the work of the Lord with love and enthusiasm. So, that first clause, do not be slothful in zeal. That, that word zeal is the Greek word spude, and it literally means speedy diligence. Here, here are the, here's the differentiation that I really want you to see this morning. Okay? Zeal is about action. That word zeal, spude, is about action, activity, working, doing. Getting things done, while fervor, that next clause, is actually about the attitude that you have as you are doing it. And as for this seal, it's not just that we are diligent and hardworking and industrious, and it's not just about getting stuff done, but there is also a sense of urgency. We can't wait to get at it. We can't wait to get at it. Paul tells us that when it comes to zeal, don't let slothfulness get you. And, and that clause, uh, that little uh, idiom that says not slothful literally means we do not shrink back from our zeal, from our diligence. We, we are not hesitant. We do not lag behind. It's, it's like, and I saw this last night. I have to tell, we, we, last night Jackie and I had uh, the Redemption Arcadia staff and their families over last night for dinner at our house. And I saw this at the end of the evening. Uh, it, it's like you young parents, especially you dads, that tend to, you know, you get your mind focused on something. Can I get an amen from you young dads? Okay, all right. You, you're just focused on something, and you got to get somewhere. And, and you got a bunch of little kids. You got three or four little kids, maybe even two, okay. And you have to get them into the car to get them to going to this place that you want to go, okay. You're, you're diligent, you're not slothful in your zeal about getting into the car, but if you notice that the kids tend to get distracted and they're not as committed and they don't really care as much about it? and it, It's kind of like herding cats, right? This is the picture that Paul has got here, okay? There, there's got to be at least one father right now that's going, yeah. <laughs> I see what you're saying. Last night, so like Sharon and Sean Mortensen, they have three kids, five and under, okay? It took them 20 minutes to leave. Sean was like, we got to get going. Let's go. Come on. We got to get going. We got to get home. We got bedtimes. And the kids are like, la, 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 And it was fun. <laughs> it was fun. And then, and then Cody, our worship leader, he's got two sons that are like four and two, okay? So he's like ready to go. He's already had a long day. He and Lauren have had a long day. They were doing some training and stuff. They're ready to go. And, and he tells their sons that it's time to go. And they decide that they are going to literally lay down and roll their bodies all the way out the house and and down the uh, driveway to the car. And Sean's like, come on. I mean, Cody's like, come on, let's go. This is, this is the picture, though. This is the picture. We're not distracted. We're committed. There's a sense of urgency. And let's be honest. The, the proclivity of human beings is to just flag and get discouraged in the face of hard work challenges, criticism, and sometimes seemingly hopeless circumstances. I mean, that's just... That's just the way it is. That's the reality. The challenge, Paul says, in other places is to finish the race, to fight the good fight and to realize that this is gonna be a little bit hard. Serving the Lord is not necessarily easy. God does not call us to stuff that's going to be easy and he doesn't call us to stuff that's for our glory. We need to remember that. It's amazing how many people want to serve, but when you get right down to it, you find out they want to serve not necessarily for God's good and glory, but for their own good and glory. Paul uh, Paul tells us that God is going to call us to stuff that's going to be a challenge and it's going to be for His glory. Understand, God gives us what we need in order to do that. He gives us the power of the Holy Spirit and it's by the resurrected Christ that we're called and that we do but it's going to be a challenge. Jesus even says in John, uh, what I call his famous last words, John chapters 13 through 17, the night before um, he's betrayed and he's teaching his disciples. And at one point in chapter 15, he looks at his disciples and he says, listen, those those guys out there, they hate me. They hate me. And if they hate me, they're gonna hate you. You need to understand, and he uses this little metaphor. He says, a servant is not greater than his master. You're the servants. I'm the master. If they hate me, they are going to hate you. They're going to persecute me, and they have been persecuting me. If you think you're going to get off with no persecution, you're crazy. They're going to persecute you as well, but you need to remember I am with you all the time, and I am sending my spirit, the encourager, the helper, the paraclete, and he is going to be with you all the time we can even go this far listen to what jesus says in matthew chapter 5 this is the beginning of the sermon on the mount this is what he leads with in the sermon on the mount matthew writes seeing the crowds jesus went up on the mountain and when he sat down his disciples came to him and jesus opened his mouth and he began teaching blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven Uh, Blessed are those who understand that by their own power, by their own Spirit, absent the Holy Spirit, they understand they can't do anything. Blessed are those people who know they need the Holy Spirit. They need Jesus as Lord and Savior. Blessed are they. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, mourn about their sin, about their shortcomings about the fact that they don't measure up to God's holiness and they need somebody to save them. Blessed are those people as well. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, blessed are the meek, it doesn't say blessed are the doormats. Meek means gentle and loving, but still strong and firm. Strength through gentleness. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied if you're going to seek after God and Jesus Christ let me tell you something he's going to satisfy you blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven you understand that if you desire to live in Christ you are going to be persecuted for that people will see your righteousness and they won't hate you they will hate the Jesus they see in you but you will be the one that receives the persecution Jesus is telling us that and blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you so in the midst of this, we're supposed to resist sloth. We're supposed to resist the idea of, getting a, of not getting after it in diligence. We, we resist flagging and discouragement. And the one who's able to do that, there are really two characteristics or two ingredients that you, that you need to look at and learn about and lean into. Number one, the one who resists slothfulness in zeal is one who relies on the spirit. Number one. We've already been saying that, but you need the power of the Spirit. You need to recognize that as a Christ follower, you have the Holy Spirit in you, and that's the power by which you're going to live. And then the second thing is that you need to embrace humility. For the rest of chapter 12, you're going to find that we talk a lot about humility over the next four, five, six weeks. Because in the midst of the Christian ethic of love, humility becomes one one of the dominating characteristics of that love. And so in order to be able to resist slothfulness, you're going to also have to be humble in your walk. So both of these things, relying on the Spirit, embracing humility, they are counterintuitive, but they're exactly what is needed. It's the proud self-made person who who relies on the self. That's the one who will ultimately eventually get defeated. No one can ultimately withstand the pressures that life brings to us without Christ. Not ultimately. You might be able to do a good job for a while, but ultimately life is going to get at you. And that's why we need Christ. In this verse, Romans 12, 11, we also need to be reminded that although Paul is speaking primarily to the church, he's speaking primarily to you and me, believers and followers of Christ, and how we treat each other, and how we serve the Lord in, in, in church, he's also talking about when we go out into the marketplace and we live in our neighborhoods and in our jobs and in our schools, he's also talking about that as well because he says in verse 1 that we are to offer our entire lives and our entire bodies as a spiritual act of sacrificial worship. So that doesn't mean that you just come in for 75 minutes on Sunday morning and here you go. This is 168 hours a week everywhere that we are going. All of life is all for Jesus. It's, it's what Paul says in Colossians 3, where he writes this, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. Yes, we all work for human bosses. And maybe some of you are the human bosses. We get that. But ultimately, we are working for God in the midst of that. We are working and serving Jesus Christ in the midst of that. You work with the Christian ethic of love and integrity in the workplace. And by the way, I would suggest that's what most employers are looking for in the first place. That's what they're looking for. People who are going to live this life out, even in the workplace, even when called to compromise those things. And it gets tough. That's what he's looking. So Paul says, don't be slothful in spirit, but also be fervent. I'm sorry, don't be slothful in zeal, but also we need to be fervent in spirit. I can't believe how many people, Well, what does it look like to be fervent in spirit? Well, I'll give you some examples, Okay. How many of you have ever been to a Cardinals football game? Okay, that place is like bonkers, I'm telling you. There are people who stand for four hours straight screaming at the top of their lungs. I would say there's some fervency there. Anybody in here ever go to concert? Last concert I went to, I stood the whole two hours. I was fervent in spirit at that concert. How many of you go to nightclubs Saturday night? Come on, raise your hand, Saturday night. You're in nightclubs. I'll tell you what, people are fervent in spirit. in night. You, don't ask that. You know exactly what it means to be fervent in spirit. And I am not necessarily saying that we need to be all that boisterous. I'm not saying that I want you to start standing up in the middle of my sermon yelling, come on! Like they do at the Cardinals game. That's not exactly what I'm saying. But there should be an enthusiasm and a a love for serving Jesus that that somehow is going to show. And you need to trust the Spirit in you that it is going to show. When I first met Jackie, my wife, we were friends for two years before we started dating. And and almost immediately, she she was not running around going, yay, Jesus, yay. That, That wasn't what she was doing. But almost immediately, I knew there was something different there. I could tell and it was Christ she she was fervent in spirit and I know some of you I'm just I'm just not that kind of person I I I don't believe you I and here you go I'll give you the, the private investigator challenge I'll bet if we hired a private investigator to follow you around for a month he or she would find something that you are fervent in spirit about they'll find something they'll find something that word for fervent zeo is only used twice in the New Testament, but in the New Testament. But in ancient Greek literature, it was it was quite used quite a bit, and it's used to refer to a boiling pot of water that is bubbling over. A boiling pot of water that's bubbling over. Have you ever met anybody with a bubbly personality? You, you ever notice how sometimes that bubbly personality person can get a little bit annoying? Okay, so here's, the, here you go. here's some tension again. We talk about tension in the gospel. That's kind of the line that Christians need to walk. We, we, we need to be bubbling, but it's not helpful to burn anybody. We need to have fervency, but we need to be careful that we don't overreach, that we don't overextend. But let me also say this about the, I'm gonna stick with the boiling water metaphor. You ever notice how long it takes to get water to boil even when you put it on high? two years ago Jackie and I moved into a new house closer to this church than where we were living we were at 19th Avenue in Thunderbird now we're down at 16th and Bethany home much closer I was so excited about this new house because we have a gas stove I hate cooking with electricity we have a gas stove but even with a gas stove cranked up on high it takes a little while for that water to reach 212 degrees how many of you are like me that when you want your top ramen noodles you want them now Yes, amen, my brother, right here, okay. But it takes a little bit of, it takes a little bit of time. So, so we need to be, sometimes we need to be patient and persevering when it comes to our fervency because I know some of you are like, well, sometimes I just don't feel it. You know, that, that I hear this sometimes. I, I don't personally have this problem, but I hear it from enough people that I know that it must be a, a problem. Um, I, I read my Bible and, and, and I just don't feel it. Well, sometimes it takes a little while to heat up. Keep reading. Keep stoking that fire. Our founding pastor of the Gilbert congregation, so 26 years ago, Tom Schrader, we quote him all the time. We call them Schraderisms. You know, one of the most famous Schraderism is um, no matter how bad it gets, it can only last a lifetime. Y'all remember that one, right? Okay, that's a Schraderism. Okay, here's here's another Schraderism for you. He says this, do what's right because it's right until it feels right. Do And I know some of you are out there going, that's ah, legalism, that's not grace. You know, you can't deny that as you read through the scriptures, there is some sense that at times God is calling you to do what's right because it's right until it feels right. I don't feel like being faithful to Jackie right now. <laughs> and I'm not gonna be faithful until I feel it. That doesn't work very well. You see what I'm saying? We gotta do what's right because it's right until it feels right. Right, Uh, I went to Grand Canyon University in the 90s to get my degree. I was in my 30s, my mid-30s when I went there. And um, one of the advantages of going to, at the time, Grand Canyon had 1,600 students, a small liberal arts school, it's big now. But one of the advantages of going to a small liberal arts school is that if you audition for plays at the theater and you're old, you'll get parts even if you don't have talent. Because they always need somebody's father, or I actually, one time I did play an actual father. I played a priest. It's pretty cool, okay? I auditioned for three plays, I got three parts. I was always somebody, I was always the old person, okay? He's old, cast him. That's kind of the way it went. But there was a guy there at the time named Michael Carey. He was the backbone of the theater department. He was marvelously talented. Some of you might even know who he is because he was kind of well known uh, around here. Went to Scottsdale Bible, got married at Scottsdale Bible. Guy was immensely talented. One day I walked into theater for a rehearsal and we have a, they, they had a grand piano up on the, on the stage at the time and Michael was up there playing and, and I couldn't believe, I, I took piano lessons. This guy could play, playing classical music and it was beautiful. I just sat down, I could have listened to him for a couple of hours. And I remember thinking, I wish I could play the piano like that. Well, I had my opportunity. You know why I can't play the piano like that? A couple of weeks later, I walked into the theater to look for Claude Pensis, who was the director of the theater. He was a friend of mine. And I heard somebody in the actual theater and they were doing this. They were playing scales over and over and over. I walked in, it was Michael Carey. The reason he can play the piano like that is because he gets to work. Doing, he, he does what's right because it's right until it feels right. And then look what happens. And it was a beautiful picture of exactly what Paul is saying here. You can't be slothful in zeal, but you must also be fervent in spirit and look at what the spirit is gonna do in your your life. Um, Cranfield, many people say he is the Romans expert. He claims that the clause be fervent in the spirit is best translated this way. Allow your spirit to be stoked by the Holy Spirit. Allow your spirit to be stoked by the Holy Spirit. Romans, And he, lo, and he points to Romans 8.16 for this. He says, look at what Rom, Romans eighteen sixteen says. He says, the Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit is pouring into our spirit, stoking our spirit, pulling our spirit up. And remember the context. Paul says he wants us to serve the Lord. This is not an emotional experience that Paul is talking about here necessarily, but rather we are to be on fire for God, serving Him, bringing up there down here, proclaiming the gospel, loving others, and that means it's going to cost us a little something. There is no such thing as serving the Lord without it costing something. We need to recognize that. So Paul says, serving the lord that that word serving comes from the uh, the, it's a derivative of the noun doulos which means slave and so when he says serving the lord he he means being a slave for your master jesus is our master he's our savior yes but he's also our lord he he has lordship over us and we submit to and serve him And, and because of that we We know the call of Jesus. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. If you're a Christian, you know the call of Jesus. You hear him calling. And he calls us to respond. One of the most interesting and convicting questions I think that Jesus asks in all of the Gospels is in Luke chapter 6, where he says to a group of people, he says, why do you call me Lord and yet you don't do what I say? Why do you say that I am the Lord of your life yet you blow me off when it comes to me saying here's what I think you ought to do? So let me ask this question. How many of us say that we believe in God but we don't believe God? Yeah, I believe in God. Well, God says this. Well, I don't believe Him. I believe in Him. But I'm not going to believe what He says. How many of us say that we're followers of Christ but when it comes to actually serving Him, it's like... Eh, got other stuff to do. Like to keep my options open. It's also interesting that right after Jesus asks this question in Luke 6, he goes into that whole lesson about building your life on a firm foundation. And he is the firm foundation. You see, we're not not to... Having a fervent spirit means that we're not going to build our life around Jesus. It means we're going to build our life on Jesus. And there is a difference there is a difference. What, and what you believe in will motivate you to action. I was listening to the radio a couple weeks ago and they were having a philosophical conversation and, the, and the, the guy that was being interviewed was asked about God and he said, well, I, I really don't believe in anything. And I remember thinking, yeah, you do. You, you have to believe in something, otherwise you're never gonna do anything. But it is your belief, what you believe in, that actually motivates you to behave. If you believe a particular stock is going to go up in the next six months, you're going to buy it, right? If you believe a stock that you own is going to go down in the next six months, you, you're going to sell it. What we believe translates into our behavior. Do you believe Jesus or not? That's a question that we have to ask ourselves. And I want to close with just a couple quick points about this that I think might help with application. I, I think one of the things that this verse by Paul does is it forces us to grapple with the idea that essentially there are two kinds of people that we run into uh, that he's speaking to here. There's, there's the kind of person who is the get-or-done person. Get, her, get it done. Get her, how, many, how many of you would say, I'm a get-or-done person? I'm, I'm task-oriented, I'm a get, okay. And, and then there's the other person, who I, I, I really want to feel something. I, I want to feel something. How many of you would say you're, you feel like you should raise your hand right now, okay? So, all right, okay. It, it's interesting because in the study of group dynamics and group communication, scholars have said, have said for years now that essentially when you get a group together that's gonna do a task together, so a team at work or maybe let, you, let me take some of you back to college when you had the dreaded um, group study project, remember that, and you all hated it, okay? There's essentially three types of people that'll get into a group like that. They play three different roles. The first role is the task-oriented role, the person who is the task-oriented role. That's the person you get into the group for the first time and they're saying, all right, what's everybody's phone numbers? What's everybody's email? Where are we going to meet? We're going to get this done. Here's the schedule. They're going to get this task done. And quite frankly, they're not all that concerned about relationships and feelings. They just want to get it done and do it well. Then you have the role of the relationship maintenance person. That's the person who's like, yeah, I want to get it done, but I want to make sure that we have fun and everybody gets along and there's a beanbag chair for people to sit in and there's snacks, okay? And, and, and everybody's feelings and the relationships are subservient. Uh, the task, I mean, is, is subservient to everybody's feelings and relationships. Yeah, we'll get it done, but what's really important is that we all get along while we get it done. Then that third role is the person, it's known as the individual role. You all know this person. Maybe you are that person. That's the person who looks at the group and says, how am I going to manipulate this so that I don't have to do any of the work, but I get all the credit? <laughs> That's why you hated group study projects in school, Right? And at work, okay? Paul doesn't even deal with that third person. He just goes, you don't have a gospel-centered understanding of anything. You need Jesus. So if you're that individual person, we're calling you this morning to life in Christ. Now, maybe you're one of the other two. You're task-oriented or you're you're relationship-oriented. What Paul is doing here, essentially, is he's saying both of you need to see the other side of this. Diligence needs passion and enthusiasm but enthusiasm also needs work. You can be enthusiastic all you want, but at, t- at times you just need to get down and get to work. Uh, John Piper has a great illustration of this that, I, that I'll use now. I'm ripping it off from Piper, okay? Uh, imagine, if I, imagine if I bought Jackie a dozen roses, okay? Okay. And, and I didn't go to Flowerama. I went to AJ's and had one of those ladies in the green vest fix up the roses for me, and it's 80 bucks, okay? So I'm, I'm really invested now. And I bring them home to her, and I set them down on the counter, and she looks at them, and she says, Frank, thank you. Those are beautiful. Why did you get those for me? Because it is my duty. <laughs> wow, thanks. That, that didn't honor her, Right? But flip the coin over on the other side. I come home with nothing and I, rec- I, I roll in and I go, oh, Jackie, man, oh, man I, I was so excited. I was gonna get you flowers today. I was, I was counting, oh, I could get the flowers here. I was gonna get you these beautiful red flowers. I was, gonna get, I was so excited about getting you flowers and then I forgot. No flowers. But I was really excited about it. Then I got excited about something else and forgot. You see how you need both of those things there? And I know that's an extreme example, but it, but it helps, helps us understand what Paul is doing here. He's, he's giving us a holistic view of the Christian ethic here. Last thing I would want you to consider is this. How about Jesus? Jesus was diligent. Jesus was both of, both of these things. He was diligent. He lacked sloth in getting to the cross. You understand that? He never got distracted. He was fully committed. And he even said at one point, I have accomplished all that the Father has given me. But he also had passion. He had a fervor for saving his people. He boiled. He glowed. He bubbled over. He was set ablaze for his mission. He loved as he saved us. And I think if you ask Jesus, why did you do this? He would not hesitate in saying this. It's because I love you And because I had to. And you cannot divorce one from the other. He did it because He loves us and He did it because it was the mission that the Father had given Him to save His people from their sin and give them eternal life.